Greetings. Welcome to Elm City Lit Fest. I am podcast. I'm Ife Michelle Gardine, <laughs> founder of Elm City Lit Fest podcast. And I have my uh, coordinator, Sean McAllister, with me tonight. And in the background and behind the scenes, we are our other coordinator, Emily Mayo, who is sharing our information on Facebook Live. And Shah's going to introduce our guest this evening. So I'm really excited. Tonight we have one of my dear sororers, Tangi, known as Tangela A. Irby. She is a Connecticut educator, author, quilter, and descendant of G's Ben Quilters. Tangela A. Irby announced the release of her debut children's books, Pearl and Her G's Ben Quilt, and Pearl and Her G's Ben Quilt Coloring, an activity book that went on sale December 25th, 2020. So if you haven't gotten your baby a Christmas gift where you told them that it was in the mail because the post office was the excuse, go <laughs> ahead and get your baby the coloring book. Learning Advantage Network and Paperback Originals, Pearl and Her G's Ben Quilt is a heartwarming tale told through the eyes of a child who has spent hours watching her grandmother's work, her grandmother's work her magic with the needle and thread. So tonight we welcome Tangi, hello, hello, how are you? Hello, 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 I am great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you this evening. The pleasure is all ours. You didn't name your sorority, honey. Oh, we are lovely sorors of Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated. Yes, Z5B in the house. <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> So, Tangie, tell us a little bit about yourself and what inspired the book. Well, as you said, I am a Connecticut educator. I've been an educator for ooh, some time now. I've worked with students all the way, starting from pre-K all the way up to 12th grade. I currently work as an adjunct at a local university here in Connecticut, so I've worked with all ages. I also have spent time um, in terms of professional development, working with adults, working with teachers who also work with children. So where did the book come from? Well, being an educator, I always love children's literature. I don't care what it is that I had to teach, what was in the curriculum, I always started with a book. Because if you start with a book, your engagement is going to go through the roof. You know, just the, the impact when you're reading to children and all of a sudden, you know, that child who's sitting in a corner who was restless a minute ago. Well, you start reading the right book and all of a sudden, whatever it was, whatever was in the carpet that had their attention is no longer a part of what they want to do. They want to get dig into that book with you. So I've always started with children's literature. And so I always wanted to be an author, but it was just something that I never, ever a dream that I never, ever pursued. Right. So fast forward, you know, I spent a lot of time. Um, talking with my aunt who lives in Alabama. She's a G's Ben quilter. And actually my aunt and my uncle, to be quite honest with you. And you know, you spend time talking to them and um, especially my uncle, he's the next one that I'm going to write a book about because he'll say something and all of a sudden it's like, you know what? I need to write that down. Someone needs to hear that story. You know, everybody has that uncle, right? Right. For me, that uncle happens to be married to that aunt. So between the two of them, there's so much content. Oh my goodness, there's just so much. And so, when I looked at what was written about G's Ben, there's very little in terms of children's books. 
And so looking at the impact my aunt has had on my life and looking at the impact that she's having on her grandchildren, um, I just decided, you know what, let's do it. So it really started from the content. I would talk to her and I would just write things down and just write things down. And from there, working with an indie publisher, um, the book was developed, the book was born. And so I'm just overwhelmed with how the book is being received. Um, you know, everyone has a story about a quilt. Everyone. I don't care who you talk to. And it goes beyond color lines, cultures. You know, quilting is just a big piece of who we are and what we've done in the past. And the impact, for example, even talking about, you know, growing up, uh, um, my parents, for example, growing up in the South, especially in Jeans Bend, you know, they didn't come from a lot. So if they got ready to move, which a lot of even the young people now, that's what they did. You know, as soon as they got old enough, they moved north. And the idea was they were going to come north and they were going to take care of their family. And they often sent packages back. They sent money back. They did whatever they could to take care of their families. Right. And so when they got ready to go, their parents didn't, couldn't say, here's five thousand dollars. Go forth and be married. You know, here's two hundred dollars. Go forth and be married. A lot of times they didn't have the money and the money that they had. They needed to take care of the people who were still there. Right. So what they could do was to give them a quilt. And so they came up north and, and they had their quilts. I think back to growing up and we would go to visit and um, in the girls room, there were um, two beds that people would sleep in. And there, always, there was another what seemed to be a bed in the room that no one slept in. And what it ended up being was it was just piles and piles and piles of quilts. And I think now to if I could go back and uncover to look at some of those quilts. When I look at the quilts that, you know, my grandmothers that they gave me, or I look at the quilts that one of my grandmothers happens to have her quilts published in a quilting book, um, The Quilters of G's Bend, The Quilts of G's Bend. And when I look at her work, I'm amazed at the beauty of it all. And the fact that there was so much more that no one, that we'll never see, because we don't know what happened to all those quilts. Like where, you know, where are they? So um, again, quilting has just been a huge part of my family from, from the very beginning because it was the way people were able to express themselves. And, you know, it was basically taking something from nothing and making it beautiful. So that's the story. And I got, I could testify to that because my grandmother, um, Annie Huckabee, and um, her sisters came up from North Carolina and my mm -hmm. grandfather's sisters that came up from, uh, making Georgia mm -hmm. had a quilting circle. When I was young, as a little girl, I'm like, they would, they would all, it was sister-in-laws, <laughs> sisters and sisters-in-laws, and they got together and they'd be quilting and asking me to like get the pin, pin something together or, or cut pieces of the quilt. Mm -hmm or uh, pick up the pins or whatever. And I just thought of it as labor, not realizing as a child back in the 60s, early 70s, mm -hmm. that that was an art. And and right behind me now, I have mm -hmm. hanging a quilt with which had, includes some of my grandmother's pieces that um, that were left, like I, that I had left for my mother holding on to a trunk of my grandmother's and my good friend, Ellen Pankey, who's a quilter, um, put together this quilt from my grandmother's pieces. And I have to say my aunt that is 101, Sadie Holly is still alive and kicking. Yes. She's not quilting yes. anymore, but she is, um, but she got some strong ones and mm -hmm. I'm sure your sorrow, my cousin Tracy. Um, <laughs> yes. Yes. 
few of them um because i have a few of my grandmother's quilts around mm -hmm. the house i have like doll clothes it, it's such a wonderful tradition mm -hmm. and all we have when we lose our ancestors all we have is what they left behind and you know i feel it's our responsibility to continue those traditions because they're going to be lost you know they are absolutely positively going to be lost Right. The intimacy of getting a quilt, like a blanket, you know, there's so much that you've touched on as far as what it takes to make a quilt. The women of G's been that's generations, that's history that's passed down. Miss mm -hmm. Ife just gave a, a testimony of she remembers of the quilting circles. And mm -hmm. I think it's powerful that it's a sphere. They sat in the circle on purpose. They can all see each other and share things. And it's this is another situation where we're giving flowers to women who flowers are well overdue that they deserve what we're talking here and much more um quilting is a textile art but isn't given its flowers as well folks are using us when i was doing my research for today a lot of the quilters they say they like old material they don't really like new stuff and they want something that has been worn that has been that's gone through something that's been washed or dropped or they want something with a history with some with energy on it. If you think about it, what's made into a quilt, you're you're really weaving together history. As you spoke about the history of when folks were down south, only a lot of time one person can go. Whether it was the family raising money or churches raising money, that one person who had to go up north, they had the prayer warriors behind them, usually a small bag of food or something or money that folks got together. But to have a quilt. It's like having a baby blanket. It takes you back home. It takes you to like, okay, they're with me. And to know that a loved one, usually a, a grandmother usually made them because quilting is a women's, it's a woman's creative medium. Men, I was watching something. They said men are, should be, um, they should be very respectful that women are allowing them into a quilting space. It's a very intimate setting. Um, and lots of men are starting to quilt. You're absolutely right. I'm seeing it more and more, you know, on Instagram. That's where quilters are. So you go and, um, and actually I reached out to a couple and they shared with me that, you know, how they came into wanting to start quilting. So it's very, very interesting. And I'm glad you brought that up because uh, just stay tuned. There's going to be more about that coming in our, um, in our future in terms of men who are quilting. Yeah, because I can remember um, some of the conversations <laughs> as a little girl. Like, I just, I'm just saying, just, David, just be like, just shut up and listen. Just, just do, like, I just was following instructions and, and listening to them and, and bringing water to somebody that needed water. <laughs> Well, let's be let's be honest. If we're going to really tell the history, let's um. And I don't know if you heard this, but it might sound familiar. But that was back in the days when children were seen and not heard. So whatever you heard while they were in that group, your best bet was to act like you didn't hear it. So you didn't repeat it. You didn't ask for clarification. You didn't you didn't do anything. You just continued to do what you were doing as if you didn't hear anything. Right, because they're not talking to you. They'll let you know we're not talking to you. Exactly. <laughs> You're you only. Need, I was gonna say you only needed that reminder once. Right, because it's it's mad embarrassing and it's mad harsh. It's like your whole spot is now blown up. It's like you know you just got to be invisible. You can't really say too much. It's just you don't want to make no noise because you don't want them to remember that you're there either, and then get sent out because there's nothing else going. All the excitement is in this room. Exactly. 
So I wanted to give a little bit of history of G's Ben. Um, I have some notes here and then we'll go into a video because I think it's important that on this show that you see the quotes, that you really see a video of, from the women of G's Ben to get perspective because we're here talking about it. Tangi is a descendant of someone, so but we want to give perspective. It's Black History Month as well. Um, happy Black History Month to all those who are watching. We're rocking and rolling. It is 28 days. We're holding it down and we're honoring our folks, but it's really 365. Um, so let's dive into some G's Ben history. So G's Ben, whose official name is now Boykin, is situated in Wilcox County in West Alabama in the bend of the Alabama River. Directly across the river from Camden and southeast of Selma. G's Bend has, a, has one road into the community. G's Bend is in the Black Belt region of Alabama. If you know the Bible Belt, this is the Black Belt. An area that draws its name from the soil and the race of the predominant inhabitants. Prior to the infiltration of Europeans, the majority of Native Americans living in Alabama were of the Creek Federation. Joseph G., a large landowner from Halifax County in North Carolina, came to fertile the land in Ben, in the bend of the river in 1816 to grow cotton. He brought 18 enslaved, black, enslaved Blacks with him and established a plantation. When he died, he left 47 enslaved Blacks and his estate to his two nephews, Sterling and Charles G. A lot of the descendants that you'll see, they usually have the last name Pettyway, or G. In 1845, the G brothers sold the plantation to a relative, Mark H. Pettyway. That family name remains predominant in Wilcox County. After emancipation, the free black population stayed on the plantation and worked as sharecroppers of a tenant farmer. Um, we're getting to the last part of it. During the 1930s, Jean's Ben saw a considerable shift in their community. A merchant who had given credit to the families in Ben died, and his family collected on debts owed to him in the most vicious way. The families watched as all their food, animals, tools, and seed were taken away. Had it not been for the Red Cross rations distributed to the, distributed to the DeGraff family, not charging rent, the community may have fallen. The DeGraff family sold their land to the federal government and the Farm Security Administration became involved and set up G's Ben Farms incorporated a pilot project that was co-op that was a cooperative based program to help sustain the inhabitants. The government built Roosevelt's houses and sold tracts of land to families on the bend, thus giving the African American population control over the bend. I think it's important to remember this is an isolated area. There's only one way in and really one way out. In 1949, a U.S. post office was established in Jeesman, and the name was changed to Boykin, an unwelcome change to the community. Again, in 1962, outsiders forced another change on the community when, when a dam on the Alabama River flooded thousands of acres of the most fertile land. But Jeesman's oral-pulled people got it together, and in 1965, Martin Luther King Jr. was scheduled to visit the bend. Mm -hmm. Now, I won't, I'll stop here, but when Martin came, he inspired the people to fight for their voting rights, and they stepped up. They they followed what he was teaching them. He They got invigorated. Their light got sparked. This sparking then caused the government of G's Bend at the time to take away the ferry that went there. 
and the ferry was out of commission from 1951 to, I believe, 2006. So RevCav, that's something to simmer on, and RevCav is going to take us into a three-minute video to give some perspective over what we just heard. Quinn ain't nothing but Quinn. They will say, you know, old Mayran, you make some real small stitches, or you keep your line so straight. And I tell them it's a gift. I don't draw any line to try to follow that line. I said, that's too much work. Whatever happened, happened. I said, that's the art in it. And I don't know anything about art. <laughs> My name is Mayor Ann Pitway. I'm the manager of the GSP and Quilt Collective. The first show they did in uh, Houston, then they went to New York to the Whitney. I was told they went to Mobile, the High Museum. I got a chance to go there. China myself, we are most of the traveling are uh, doing workshops, teaching people how to uh, make quilts or our style. But I thank God for that because um, if they didn't want to uh, learn our style, then she and I won't be, you know, doing much traveling at all. Oh, it means a lot to me because um, I started working here in 2006, and since that time, I finished paying for my house. Uh, I done bought a car and on the old one more payment on the van I got out there because of these quilts, because this is my own income. It is helping some of us in this community by making quilts, because a lot of ladies make their quilts at home, then they bring them here to be sold through here. We didn't have some from Japan, um, Hawaii, we don't have a lot of different people from here or, uh, you know, come to visit with us. When mom was teaching me, I didn't want to learn how. Because, see, I was young. I wanted to go play. And, but I thank God that mama taught me. She made me. See, we didn't have no beds to lay on. So they had to make quilts for us to lay on the floor and quilts to cover on us. But, see, I got the grandboys training, training them. And uh, I had two young girls, the other day came and asked me to teach them how to quilt. They say this is a dying art, so as long as I'm able to teach what I can teach, then I'm going to teach it. People tell us we are famous. I don't feel it. <laughs> I'm still the same as I've always been. I try to be more loving and caring and respectful to other people because I want them to treat me with respect and I, you know, try to respect them. Wow. Wow. History. Things uh, like what we need to hold on to, what our children need to to know about. And, and, and Tangie, it like it is so strategic and, and not strategic, but it's so imperative that this book gets out there to all everybody's babies. <laughs> so it's not a lost art because over the years, you know, like it, it just like fewer and fewer people 
um, learn these things, learn about these things and learn about our traditions. And it's really important. My grandmother and my great aunt, Sadie, Holly, and, uh, and their sisters, they did everything by hand, as did these ladies. They didn't really, there wasn't no sewing machines. They were sitting around a big dining room table mm-hmm. with, in, with doing squares, doing circles, talking about this, that, and the other, and, and pulling it together. And, and, and those quilts hanging in there. I got, I do have a, a few, like I said, I still have a few of them, <laughs> a couple of them on my bed <laughs> and in, in, and in storage. So, and, and, and my family members as well. Um, it's, it's really, uh, when you think that's a great way. When you think back, I mean, even back to the origins of it, you know, what's the, quilting was done at a time when women didn't have the ability or we as African-Americans didn't have the ability to make decisions, to do what we wanted to do. So quilting back then to our enslaved ancestors, that was their freedom. You know, they were able to take what they had, right? Their only The only limitation was what did they have, right, when it came to making clothes. When it came to the designs and how they put things together and what they did, they had absolute freedom. You know, and and even thinking, talking to my aunt, my aunt Mary Letha Petway, and some of her quotes are hanging behind me. She often says when she quotes, she feels free. She can do what she wants to do, how she wants to do it. And she talks about, she uses the word complete. So when she starts off with a project, she doesn't know how big she's going to make it, how small she's going to make it. She just says something within her says it's done now. This is, this is, this is, the, this is what I want it to be. And it's, I'm, I feel complete. She talks about it being a stress reliever for her. You know, some people smoke, some people may drink, some people, you know, run a marathon, you know, whatever it is that you do, whatever your thing is. But for her, quilting is her thing. It relieves, no matter what's going on in the rest of the world, she, she's one with herself when she's quilting. So that's a gift, if you think about it from way back when, it has carried us through time. You know, we find different ways to express. Um, we didn't, they didn't know it was art. And now these quilts are hanging in museums all around the country. You know, just recently there's been a display in London. Mm-hmm. You know, when I asked people, I, I put something on my Instagram page and I asked people to tell me your G's Ben story. And I was absolutely amazed with some of the things that came back. I had a student, a college student, a student who was, when she was in college, she was going for art. And she said that she, she, was just, she wanted to give up. And she said she heard that story and she became reinvigorated and wanted to, to do it more so. She wanted to finish her program. There are people who were talking about the fairy, for example, because it's one of few fairies like that um, when they were doing some research about fairies. So people from all over, they talk about going and learning how to quilt with the women in G's Bend. So it's just amazing the number of people who have a story and the fact that you know this small town is impacting the world in terms of people saying, you know they, they didn't go to college, they didn't go to art school, and their quilts are being held up against some of the, the some of the most famous artists you ever that we've all heard of, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just it's an honor and it's a joy. And again, it's something that we just don't want to die out. You know, we want the young people to start picking it up. My friends are contacting me saying, you know, my daughter wants a G's Ben quilt now, or my daughter wants to learn how to quilt. Um, now um, I've showed my daughter the quilt that I have, and she's and they see the value in it now that it's in print and in and in a book. You know, so that really is the message that I'm trying to convey. It's all about, you know, I'm bridging gaps through storytelling, bridging generational gaps through storytelling. 
Yeah, and it's really important. I know it, I keep going back to it, but my cousins and I, mm -hmm. the quotes that we have from our grandmothers um are like hugs. When my when when my daughter was born, my grandmother made a quilt for my baby. Mm -hmm. And and we still hold on to that. And it's tradition. Like we we want to pass them on. We want to mm -hmm. hold on to them. And even the, like the quilts that my, my friends have made, I have a few hanging around my house, <laughs> hanging on the wall because I want to mess some of them up. <laughs> They're art. It's art. Mm -hmm. That's what you do with artwork, right? You hang it. It's to be revered, not to necessarily, you know, I remember someone telling me when I told them that I was from, I was a descendant of G's Ben. The first thing she did, she stopped doing what she was doing. She looked at me and said, take that quilt off of your bed. Okay. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> because it was a hug. It's like a hug. It's like part of your family. Exactly. Exactly. A lot of the women... In my research, I found that they said this, these are their heirlooms for their descendants. They don't have a lot of money to give and they don't have anything too much materialistic, but they have this, this quilt that is like a rite of passage that if your grandma made you a baby blanket or one of your aunts made you a quilt or a baby clothes or you hold baby shoes or something of that nature. And I'm glad you spoke about um, how the ancestors have been doing this since they were brought over. And this is one of the first few forms of protest art that black people were able to use because you figure your life is so controlled every aspect of your day every being someone's being someone's telling you what to do it's oppressed you're being oppressed constantly mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. everything but through this one avenue you're able to be free you're able to drift you're able to tap into your intuition and have your intuition tell you when you're done it allowed you to have your humanity in a society that, that deemed you less than human Right. Mm -hmm. It's it's it may it really makes you wonder because like why why does it necessarily have to be this way? I think we should talk about these people lost their ferry because they wanted to vote. Mm -hmm. They I don't I don't understand how one can justify that. You you're isolating me, you're keeping me from nowhere. There's no store here. All they have is that post office. They're <laughs> growing the food that they eat there on this island and it's like these systems of oppression and then to even talk about the creek federation of the native folks who were there where's their story were they a part of the natives who had to go on um the trail of tears like what what should what shouldn't be lost here and everything that happens in history there's something in our present day that we can make connections to right mm -hmm. so what shouldn't be lost is the power of a group of people when they've decided what it is that they want to do and that they want their rights so when a group of people get together change happens so that was recognized that's what happened with the ferry a change was going to happen if people mobilized and when they were able to actually go out and vote so I'm just going to leave it like that. And you just think about what, what recently happened right here in the United States, right? Change happens. I'm not, and I'm not, I'm not trying to make a political statement. I'm not saying bad, good, indifferent. I'm just saying change happens when people know their power and they, and they do it, right? They get together for a common good. So whether it's a group of people who are getting together to quote, whether it's a group of people who are getting together to go vote, regardless of what it is. So, to me, that what that's what that speaks to. That's why they lost the ferry. 
And you know, that trip, I believe at the time, because everything is different depending on the time and the horsepower, I'll put it that way. But the amount of time it took to get across the Camden on that ferry was much shorter than hopping in the car and driving on land. And most people back then, how many people had a car? Right. Right. And, and we had to talk about this book. So if you if you can, Tangi, just like give us a little snippet. <laughs> Read some pages. Read from some pages. Start, you know, start it off. Give people teasers because the link, we put the link on our page. Um, but she also has a link that you can buy the book, y'all. Buy the book. And that's okay. for autograph copies for the book set. But if you want the book, it's at Amazon, et cetera. So um, you can just find it online. All right. So first, I'll just say that um, I, both of my grandmothers actually were from G's Bend. So we have Pearl Kennedy Petway and Jency Lee Irby. So um, my maternal grandmother was Pearly. And so that's where Pearl comes from. Okay. So let's get into the story. I'm just going to give you a little bit of it. All right. So on a lazy Sunday afternoon, Pearl sat playing in the living room with her friends, Sally and Ella, as the aroma of homemade biscuits, smothered chicken, rice, collard greens from the garden, and grandma's famous tea cakes filled the house. Wow, that quilt is amazing, Sally said. My mom has quilts like that at our house. Grandma told me I come from a long line of G's Ben quilters whose quilts have been displayed in galleries and museums all over, Pearl proudly boasted. When I get older, I'm going to make quilts too, and one of my quilts will hang over there one day. Pearl pointed to the empty space where she intended to display her work. That's pretty neat, but what are G's Ben quilts? I've never heard of that before. Sally asked wide-eyed. Pearl sat up straight with confidence. Back when my grandma was younger, the house she lived in did not have any heat, so she and her siblings used quilts to keep warm during winter. The families who lived in G's Bend, Alabama, were very large. Some had 10 or more children, so they needed lots of quilts. They would tear up old clothing to use for fabric, the women would move from house to house, quilting during the evening. During the day, many of them worked at the Freedom Quilting Bee. They would use sewing machines to piece together the tops, but they quilted them together by hand. Sally and Ella listened in amazement, surprised that their play date had turned into a fantastic lesson about Pearl's family history. And I am going to stop right there. You'll have to pick up the book to hear the rest of the story. But what I do want to share is, and thank you, you're, you're holding up the cover of the book. But the quilt that Pearl is holding on the cover of the book is actually a quilt that my maternal grandmother made probably 30 or 40 years ago. And you also talked about baby quilts. So if you look in the book, there are two baby quilts. This one was given to me. Right? And then on the back, there's a green and blue one that was given to my brother. So we both have quilts um, that were given to us when we were, when we came into the world. 
And then the other thing that I will share, because I haven't seen these um, too often, but often, but you'll see here, there are frogs. So uh, my grandmother made those for a while. They were making stuffed animals. Wow. So we also have stuffed animals. And I have um, a chicken and something, uh, not something else that my grandmother made. But yeah, so it was a way of, again, honoring uh, what my grandparents did and showing the world um, that, you know, that there are many uh, descendants of G's been throughout throughout the world. Um, the other thing that I'll add is that um, a few years ago, for example, the play, there, there's been a play, G's been, that's traveled across the world. And I didn't know that the play was coming until a coworker, actually my boss, who knew I had ties to G's been, he came to me and told me that the play was in town. And he was like, I want you to go with, I want you to go with my family. So I went with them. So what's interesting to me is a lot of times these things like this are happening, you know, shows are coming, there's a play and there are descendants right there in these cities and towns that we never know about it. So I want people to know that we're out here and we want to go see, we want to go see the quotes too. Um, maybe it was probably maybe two years ago, a show came to Lehman College in the Bronx. And so a group of us, it probably was about eight or nine of us, we were able to go and um, we, my mom was with us then. So we were able to go and look at the names and she was able to tell us who people were. Um, so it's a, it's a great experience for our families as well as for people who may not know about the quotes. Wow. And I and I am remiss because there I believe in the 80s, my aunts and my grandmothers were a part of a quilting show here in New Haven that I believe the Arts Council put together. And it just came to me like I should have got my research on because somewhere in my somewhere in my world, I still have the um, the 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 newspaper article where their, their quilts were featured um, in an exhibit downtown um, at the arts council. And it was um, a, one of the, the highlights of their lives, but they, among many other things, but my aunts, my aunt Sadie Sue again, <laughs> Tracy, holla at Tracy <laughs> for her, for her Nana. Um, she's one of the last quilters in our family. She's what last in our family alive of 101, hanging wow. in there. God bless her. Yeah. And um and they they were they were it was something that they just they sat around bonding. Mm -hmm. There was no there, like it was it was um it was a real bonding time. And when I reflect on just listening, sitting listening to them and fetching whatever they needed me to fetch or cutting or doing the needles or getting the needles off the out of the shag carpet <laughs> <laughs> when i re when i reflect on that it was such a, a sisterhood time mm -hmm. and and the, like i said my my grandmother and her sisters were from fayetteville north carolina and then my grandfather's sisters my aunt sadie and then we're from Macon, Georgia, but they they um, had a common thing in the quilting, mm -hmm. and they came together around the quilting with in the summertime with the lemonade, the sweetest lemonade and iced tea, and and snacking, but making sure they didn't get anything on it. Or what you got? What what? Oh, let me use a piece of that. Um, old old dresses, things that that people were going to throw away or. Something got torn. 
an old curtain, like like said, like it was pieces of things, and it was it is so historic, and it's so much a part of our tradition. It was at Eli Whitney. Thank you, Tracy. <laughs> Shout out to Tracy. It was at it was at the Eli Whitney Museum mm-hmm. that they they had a, a, an exhibit of quilts and. Um, Yes, we'll probably and now we'll find the pictures, Tracy, if you have any. <laughs> yeah, and I know post them and tag the lit fest. Um, if I can find mine, I will. And I think my cousin Jaron Goodson is also listening. And her and my Annie Lane, they they may have the 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 um the newspaper article as well. Mm-hmm. I am remiss because I didn't mention that. Yeah, I have a collect I have a collection as well. At one point they even did postal stamps with G's been quilts on them. Do you remember? I have them somewhere. I think they're in the other room, but yes, there were postage stamps that were done. And, you know, and I also have to mention that there's a group of women right here in Bridgeport who are still quilting, who are descendants of G's Ben. Yes. And um, it was interesting. Uh, there's a group and you mentioned Petway. So there are a lot of Petways um, right here in the city of Bridgeport. So we're here and they are still quilting and they're passing it down. Um, We recently got together because there is an article that's going to be written. It's going to be on the Bridgeport Public Library page. Yes. And so um, we all brought one or two quilts. And so they were able to have their pictures, their quilts photographed. And so um, one of the stories that was told was about um, a great grandmother's dress that was used as the backing of that quilt. And you know, like I said, the, the, they're still those things are still here. That's what we have left to pass on to our children. And so the thing about it is if we don't teach them the value of it, our children are going to get these things and just think that they're just that things. You know, and you hear people say all the time, well, you know, I, I, I'm living a minimalist life. I don't want all that stuff in my house. Well, there's a difference between stuff and then things that have been passed on from one generation to the next. And if we don't tell them and teach them the difference, those things that we hold, um, that hold value, you know, um, are, they're just going to be discarded. And so we have to make sure that they, they know and that, and that they understand. The other thing for me on a personal note that I'm really interested in is, you know, we talked about we have these quotes that have been passed down and, you know, we don't want to put them on our bed. We want to try to preserve them. So one of the questions that I'm trying to get an answer for is how do we preserve these quilts? You know, how do because I do know that there's, for example, you know, if they're a little tattered or torn. There's a way that you can preserve them. You don't want to just go and start stitching them up because by you doing that, if you use thread or material that um, is today's thread and material, then it changes the date on the quilt. So you can really do some damage to these heirlooms. You don't you don't want to do that. But what I'm finding is that if I go to someone who has some expertise in that area and I ask those questions, I typically get, oh no, um, I don't think any this person won't, they probably won't be able to help you, but you can try. But if you want to sell your quilt, I'm your person. So people are more than willing to help you if you want to sell it. And if you know how it works, if you find someone who's going to help you sell your quilt, they're going to get a huge commission, Mm. right? I don't want to sell my quilt. I want to keep my quilt. I want to pass. We want, the majority of us want to pass them down to the next generation. But how do we do that in a way that, again, preserves it so that it can last longer? So I'm hoping that maybe there's someone, you know, listening or watching that will be able to answer that I think the Lit Fest Network and like I think we should put that call out there 
because it kind of speaks to different jobs in art. If seeing textile and quilting as an art, there's a, a preservation to it. There's a maintenance as paintings need to be maintained. Photography needs to be maintained. You just said that if someone stitches anything on, it changes the date. Yes, that's what Therefore, it then changes the value of it. Mm -hmm. As we think about collecting art, folks may already have art in their home. Whoever you were talking to was more than willing to help you make a transaction on it. They know yeah. those resources. They know the resources to help you preserve it, but they know that there's a value in it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if we're able to pass, this is going on in Bridgeport. I had no idea. I don't think anyone, if you're not in Bridgeport in the loop on these things, knew that descendants mm -hmm. are there, that this mm -hmm. work is going on. Folks we are, are at home with nothing to do. Folks could be quilting. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And then we're all over. There is, I just think of, you know, there's family, we're in, we're in Boston, we're in Mass, we're in New York. You know, we're all over. We're in Colorado. You know, all over. But, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was just, just going to repeat the fact. Because if you don't know where you've been, it's hard to know where you're going. We don't know where we're going because we don't know where we've been. Yeah. As you spoke about, you could give a young person a quote right now. It's like, okay, well, I got another blanket. Thank you. I appreciate it. But not knowing that this is all handmade. Something that's handmade always is valued more because it's made with that personal touch. If someone wanted to get into quilting, what would they need? Is it a difficult process? Could they Do they have most of the things in their house? What does that look like? Well, what I will tell you is that, and again, Instagram is where a lot of quilters live. I was just, I just saw earlier today that there's a woman who um, actually is teaching lessons virtually, oh. right? So you can look online and find these resources. They are absolutely there. For me, I learned when it, obviously we weren't in a pandemic. So it was a situation where I had been going to work and telling someone that I wanted to quilt, I wanted to quilt, and she had enough. So she brought me some fabric, put it on my desk and said, I'll see you after school. And so that was how I learned how to quilt. So, you know, and did I not say that, you know, telling the G's been story, we, we didn't have a lot. So we used what we had in our house. So I, you have a needle and thread and you have some old clothes. I think you have enough to get started. It's just a matter of finding someone who might be able to help you a little bit along the way. But again, you can YouTube anything. <laughs> You can That's use true. absolutely anything. So in this environment, there is nothing. If you say that there's something that you want to learn how to do and you're not acting on it, that is up. That is your that is on you. Nobody else. It is on you, because even with how I came into, like I said, I, I knew I wanted to be a, uh, an author. I wanted to write a book. And um, how it started for me was a resource online. You know, Facebook, they know what you're doing. They track you. So I something popped up in my feed about if you want to self-publish a book, you know, come to a master class. It's free. All right. I was quarantined. I was at home. Why not? So I went in. And when I tell you this, she blew my mind. So talk about an hours worth of time that was worth it. She had a module on if you want to create a journal. There was a module on if you wanted to do a children's book. She had modules for everything, hours and hours and hours of real content. So that was how I got started. So I don't care what it is that you want to learn how to do. Go to Facebook, go to the, there's, there's a resource there. If nothing else, it will get you started. I don't care what you do. There's a language for it. You learn, I learned the language. I learned the business behind it. And this was all free. And we have a lot of comments. 
we go in, in um, our, our Facebook feed. We have recommendations on how to pack them to get less oh, sunny. Awesome. And then, um, and that's from Lisa McDowell. And uh, Lisa Jackson invited someone, Brenda Castell, a quilting enthusiast, to join. Babs Rolls Ivy said, Rich conversation. Thank you for listening, Babs. And Colleen Coleman. Um, the curators at the Museum of Modern Art finally recognized the G's Ben quilters, placing them alongside recognized abstract expressions. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. Give flowers where flowers are due and recognize the value of it. As I, I'm going through a lot right now. Because knowing <laughs> knowing that all this history is right here in Connecticut, right like here. A lot about it's right here. And then okay. you know, and another thing, I I have to give credit where credit is due. So, uh, some of this also came out of when I go back to the the ladies right here in Bridgeport. They did a quilt sh quilt show. Um, I don't know, maybe four or five years ago at one of the local churches. And you know, I went, and when I got in there, there were quilts everywhere. There were quilts on the floor. There were quilts on the the tables. There were quilts on the wall. They had no more space. There were there were quilts everywhere. And I, I tell this joke often, but it's it's the truth. <laughs> if someone in my family goes to college, and we, I have a lot of cousins that went to college, so I'm, that's not what I'm trying to say. But if you went to college, there's a belief that you can do anything. The refrigerator breaks down. Call her. She went to college. She has a degree. She can do it, right? So I don't care what it is. So when they when they said that they wanted a place to show their quilts, that was a job that they gave me and another young woman. We want to be able to show our quilts. But what I found was that it was hard to prove that we were who we were, mm. right? And so yeah. I, I also know that they said, well, look, it, it, if you want to be an expert, deemed an expert at anything, you need to write a book. And so I do, I still want to do it. I'm going to do something for adults, but they really pushed me to get this stuff in writing. And another push behind it is I want to give them an opportunity to have that show, to show their quotes somewhere. Right. So um, again, that's just, a, just, that's what's next for us. That is what's next. That was a point behind a driver behind a lot of this that, you know, the work needs to be recognized and it was not being recognized. And often it's not the I want to make sure that my people benefit from all of the hard work that they've been doing. My grandmothers, our grandmothers, our great grandmothers worked too hard. This opportunity wasn't given to them. We have this opportunity. So we need to be their voices. We need to do what they would have done if they lived in this day, at this time, at this moment, to be able to make these things happen. I just feel it's our responsibility, along with not letting this art die out. It Absolutely. Is. And having, oops, having a children's <laughs> book to put it in the hands of the babies, to put it in the, in the children's minds, mm -hmm. builds legacy. Mm -hmm. And it, it's this is just so key this is i love the way we're starting our, our podcast for black history month with some history of our women some traditions of our families we have to maintain our legacy in this country it's it's so crucial mm -hmm. it what is we, our duty. we have to we it's our duty we have to our ancestors right what our ancestors have gone through none of us could imagine we know mm -hmm. the hardships of what folks had to go through slavery what folks had to go through Jim Crow, what folks had to do when they got to the North and they finally found like a sense of peace. 
what we go through every day, this same oppression, you know. But with that, we still have to carry the baton. We have to make sure that these traditions of quilting, things like cooking, things like sewing, a lot of folks' grandmother tell you they were seamstresses or that they can, are these phenomenal bakers that it, no one else is going to hold our history but us. If we don't pass it along, the importance of you starting out with the children's book is that you have to start with the beginning. What's next? These children, now they have, even if they don't look at it or if they don't remember it, they were exposed to it. We never know what sticks in someone's mind. They may remember the quilt. They may remember G's Ben. They may remember all of it, but something that one exposure could spark something down the line when they get to elementary school or college, they see a quilt and it's like, yo, I remember that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So as we celebrate Black History Month and we, you know, honor our elders and those who have come before us and those who are cultivating now, everyone on this call, behind the scenes right here, those in the comments, shout out to Sora Lisa for giving the tips. Like we've called on our network. Mm -hmm. Sora Tanji just said that there is, there's a population of quilters and those of G's Ben who want to continue the work, who want to keep the history going. That's a call out. It's, I don't know how y'all do when you put a call out in the hood. You you respect you responding. You, you're looking for an answer. So we're here putting that call out. Like if you are interested in quilting, if you are a pettyway or a G or a, someone who is interested in this to any degree, reach out, tap in. Because why not? And as Tanji said before, everything's on the internet. There really is no excuse. You don't no, have to go to the library. You don't need an expert or a private class. Like you have to self-teach yourself. Malcolm X was self-taught. A lot of the most wonderful, mm -hmm. phenomenal people you look up to are self-taught. You have to put that, plant your own seed, and then everything else will come to you. My biggest regret is that I did not sit at the feet of my grandmothers to learn to quilt the way that they quilt. And when I think to, I have two beautiful nieces, Cameron and Camille, I don't know if they're, they're watching and listening, but two beautiful nieces. And when I think about all the experiences that I had when I would go back, they're not going to have those experiences. And so I don't want, when they're ready, and one of them has already expressed the, the desire to want to, to learn to quilt, but I want them to have a place to go back and say, oh, you know, I, I, I wasn't interested then, but now I am. So you know what? They can pick up the book, right? And they can find the information here. So the regrets that I have, I don't want them to have. And down to, you know, my, my mother was the one who made the tea cakes. So anyone, if you're a church usher in Bridgeport, they may not know, remember my mother's name. They may not remember anything else, but they know her tea cakes. They'll show up and say, "Where the tea cake lady, is she here? But that that's in a book. And people on Instagram, I had someone reach out to me today saying that that sparked a memory for them. So, you know, I tried to as much as possible to incorporate some of those little things that will make someone think about their own stories. Yes, this is my story. This is our G's, but this is our story. But you might not have the G's been story, but what is your story? You know, start trying to talk to your kids about those stories. Start writing it down. They may not be interested today, but there will come a time when they say, oh, I wish. You know, people talk about that apple pie that their grandmother used to make, or I think about my mom's sweet potato pie. My joke was, well, if I don't like it, I don't need to know how to make it, right? But missing the point that now that my mother is gone, there's somebody else that loved her sweet potato pie. If I knew how to make it, I could make, make it for them. And that would make them, help them remember something about my mom that's no longer here anymore, right? But 
they always say, you know, you live and you learn. So there's so many lessons that we've learned, our ancestors have learned. Let's share those stories now so there's some things you don't have to keep learning generation after generation. It'll just be there, right? You'll just know. So that was really the motivation and the, the, a lot of the motivation behind the book and the purpose. Well, Tangie, for me, I'm so, so, we are, Elm City Lit Fest is so grateful that you kicked off our mm. Black History Month celebration, celebratory podcast, and, and, and just evoked so many memories mm. for, from my childhood. Um, because again, I like you, I regret that mm -hmm. at the time when I was sitting, uh, uh, not at the table, around the table, <laughs> Near the table, near the near table. The table that <laughs> the big my grandmother had a huge dining room table, and the and the, everybody would come with their their little bag, their stuff, and and pull out their things and start quilt. Somebody be on the couch. I was just I was just that shell. Just go get that shell. Just go get this. You know I I shut up like was mentioned earlier. That was the time where I had to be quiet and. But I regret that I thought it was labor <laughs> as a little girl. I a, and then I, I like um, had my grandmother has so many trunks and and like places stored with with quilts in them. I'm like, as I find them, I'm bringing uh, memories come back and and like I said, they're like a hug. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate you writing this book to keep the tradition going to have the conversations to like globally because sometimes it's a little network of things that people don't know about mm -hmm. we have so put the um the uh the uh whew, the link to pearl's quilt in our on our facebook page please click on it please buy the book look up quilting <laughs> support Black Art Elm City Lit Fest is a celebration mm. of Afri of the African diaspora of literature, literary artists, and and li literature and literary artists of the African diaspora. We have got to keep our our legacy in this land right. going. Thank um, you, Tanji, for bringing this history to the forefront and for sharing your family's history. I think folks got to give that credit. Like, this is intimate, you know, like you're sharing something of your world, of your folks, you know, that you put in this book for us. And thank you for giving flowers to these women and giving flowers to the art of quilting. I hope that this has inspired folks to get interested in it and to give it its flowers. Like, there's a whole bunch of exhibitions we see and art shows and things like that, like. Make it well-rounded. Include everything. Textile art is art. Exactly. And thank you for this space. Um, you know, um, I'm honored to have shared the space and to be the, the kickoff for you um, this evening. Um, and I think the people in the comments, I can't see anything because I'm a, I am afraid I'm going to end the meeting if I, if I click anything else. StreamYard <laughs> is new to me. <laughs> That's all good. Um, and and we, again, we appreciate you. Everybody look that up. We also want to say to everybody in our last few minutes, Elm City Lit Fest is hosting El uh, Midnight Noir for Valentine's Day. Mm. On Valentine's Eve, Saturday, February 13th, 
You can register on Eventbrite. This will not be a podcast. It will be, it's a private Zoom. <laughs> it's called Midnight Noir. We bring your love poetry. Read your love, read, read a favorite love poem that you know about. But it's about love because one of the one of the things we feel is that love keeps us going. It recharges us. We have so many things as African American people in this world to fight for, to maintain our legacies, all that. <laughs> but um, we want to promote some love this this year, and especially 2021 pandemic, elections, blah stuff. Mm-hmm. Let's celebrate some love. You could you could sign, log you could um and because this is Zoom, what stays in that room will be in that room. It's a safe space. It's getting real sensual on Saturday. You know, bring your fit, your your candles, your wine. If you got a fireplace, this would be the time to light it. (laughs) You know, if you got a secret poem you got on your phone or you got that love poetry and journal back in the back and you never thought you'd, you know, give it out to the people, this could be that time for you. It won't be recorded. You know, wear your fit. Give us Razzle, dazzle, but keep it cute. Please don't. If you love yourself, love yourself, love your your partner, whoever you're with, bring your cocktail, your mocktail, however you want. But please, um, and and it's free. It's 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 free, and it's Zoom. We will not broadcast any of this. <laughs> you can register through Eventbrite, which we'll have posted. And if you're interested in participating, there'll be an open mic portion. But if you want to sign up to get on the roster ahead of time, we have a Google form that we will post in our Facebook. Please sign up. Like, come kick it. It's from 11 to 1. Y'all be up. Don't be playing sleep now. You be up. It ain't like you could go out for dinner. <laughs> like, come on now. Take a nap. If For those of you don't don't want to stay up late, take a nap. <laughs> Wake up. At like 11, 10.30, log in, join us. You know, I'm going to have on something. <laughs> I'm going to have on Valentine-y. I'm going to be Valentine-y. I ain't going to be Frederick to Hollywood, but I'll be Valentine-y. <laughs> <laughs> and I will have a, a cocktail. Now, we went from children's stuff to like, you know, but <laughs> it's all about love. Tangi, again. Much, much gratitude, sister, and blessings for continued success. Success, success. And in what and the next book, we'll have you back. Come on. I will next when you got that thing on out here. Come back to Elm City Lit Fest and um Lit Fest. Everybody put in their calendars. 2021 will be September 10th and 11th. So more to come. Can I just say thank you to you both for having me? And I'll be, I'd be remiss if I did not say thank you to the ladies of the Dove, my Sora Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated. I'm looking down at my phone. I, I can see the chat now. So thank you for uh, watching. And also I see some of my teacher friends from Windsor, Connecticut. Thank you so much for viewing as well. And thank you all for joining us. We'll see you in two weeks. Elm City Lit Fest podcast. Blessings. Thank you.